It's September 18th, and the Holy Father has arrived in England, the first papal visit there since Pope John Paul II went in 1982. Many people are wondering why the Pope has to go to England. Is this not a slap in the face to Anglicans after last year's announcement of the new Anglican Communion coming into full communion with Rome? Well, first, let's make it clear that the Pope, as a head of state, is visiting because former British Prime Minister Gordon Brown invited him. The theme for the visit is Heart Speaks Unto Heart. This is the motto that Cardinal John Henry Newman chose when he became Cardinal. Now, 130 years later, the Catholic Church has elevated Cardinal Newman to the title of Blessed, and his beatification will take place in Birmingham by Pope Benedict XVI tomorrow. The journey has also featured meetings with the Queen, the Anglican Archbishop Rowan Williams, and several bishops of England, Wales, and Scotland. This visit, clearly, is one to continue fostering the ecumenical ties that Benedict has been working on. And yes, there have been jokes and verbal attacks. England is not known for their Catholic zeal. But hey, when did following Jesus Christ mean that we wouldn't be attacked for our beliefs? Let's join our prayers with Pope Benedict for the remainder of his UK visit and pray that he continues in his call to bring people of different faiths together for dialogue. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. If you're an adult who grew up in a homosexual, bisexual, or transsexual household, you may feel that you can't speak about your experiences. Now, Don Stefanovic offers a place where these conversations can happen, not necessarily a physical place, but a place. Her new book, Out From Under, details her experiences growing up with a homosexual father. And Don Stefanovic joins us now on the phone. Welcome, Don, to Salt and Light Radio. Pedro, thank you very much. Um, um, quickly, if you can tell us what it was like growing up for you. Well, it was challenging, very confusing, because, yes, I knew my biological father, and I knew my biological mother, but my father, beginning at 10 months old, when I was 10 months old, he brought in one of his partners to live in our home, among other boarders. From that point on, I was taken with my father and his friends into uh really the developing subcultures that was it was just a very different kind of environment to grow up in um at uh, eight my father had actually taken me to downtown toronto to see the the brand new um downtown area that had opened up for uh those involved in the glbt movement it was not political it was very artsy fashion centered right. and um, you know, it had a very interesting flair artistically, and, you know, there seemed to be a, a lot of uh, people that my father knew. Mm-hmm. He also had uh, different partners in his life, and uh, so I had a, had a different kind of upbringing maybe than what you would consider uh, to be traditional. Where was your mother? My mother was ill and very submissive. Uh, she was subservient, really, to, to my father. She actually, we would go together or separately to the various places my father usually attended. As an example, there's a, a park called Taylor Creek Park, yeah. and we would go bike riding there. It's also a cruising park, which is known very well to gay men in, in the Toronto area. 
We'd also go to Hanlon's Point, which was right. a clothing optional beach, which is just off Central Island, and you could actually bike ride or walk if you like to walk a few kilometers down to the end of the island there. Um, and just a very, it was a very different kind of upbringing for me culturally, and my mother actually um, kind of mixed with with some interesting female friends during my teen years. Right. So I had a. A, a background that was again not traditional right now but this was would have been normal for you because that's where you were growing up so what were you feeling thinking through let's say when you were eight years old and your father took you downtown to this place for the first time well i was excited like he was i, I remember leaning back with my uh, head up against the back seat looking out the back window yeah at all the apartment buildings first of all with their bright lights because it would usually be evening time and the lights in the office buildings all had their lights on mm -hmm. and he would take me right downtown we would actually walk um along st charles and uh, some of the core area streets in the area mm -hmm. where uh, there would be different men standing on the street corners and, and talking and trying to link up with with someone else and again it's um i it confused me because where other people had a mother and a father I had a situation where my father had various partners, and uh, there were always different men in our home. So I had, uh, I felt like I was competing for my father's attention and his uh, time and affections. I, I struggled really with my own sexuality because my, my father presented to me this understanding of a very broad understanding of sexuality and mm -hmm. gender identity. Mm -hmm. And uh, his, he was just enthralled with the female impersonator Craig Russell, who performed in gay bars in Toronto, but also throughout the States, like New York and major cities there in the States and over in Europe. Right. Uh, and he was, um, he died of an uh, AIDS-related stroke at age 42. My father uh, died of AIDS when he was 51 in 91. Mm -hmm. Now, um, just a note for anyone joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. My name is Pedro, and we're speaking to Don, uh, with Don Stefanowicz. Uh, who grew up with a uh, same gender attracted father. Um, Don, you describe in your book that, I mean, there were other issues. You haven't really <laughs> spoken very much about it right now, but in terms of uh, drugs and alcohol and this and that, why it, 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 clearly it, it was a troubled childhood, but is it because your father was homosexual or is it because just because he was a troubled man? Well, if you... If you look at the research, and that's something that I did not have my hands on growing up, I witnessed firsthand uh, that there were two suicides by the time I was nine years old, that my father, you know, there were these two friends he had within weeks of each other committing suicide. Mm -hmm. And there was also drugs and alcohol involved in his relationships. We had in our home, maybe most homes would have a liquor cupboard or whatever, but we had one of those, and different liquor and so forth that would be in well stocked in their, our corner cabinet uh, but that was part of my father's relationships there was a lot of partying late night cruising uh, traveling to different locales throughout north america it wasn't just in toronto downtown and montreal and mm -hmm. in, in vancouver he traveled throughout uh, again major cosmopolitan centers throughout the u.s and into the islands now is it possible and again um, uh, that uh, a person growing up in a household with uh, uh, homosexual parents, where the, the experience is different, that the parents are not cruising, the parents are uh, not involved in, in uh, substance abuse, 
uh, do not have multiple partners. Would you say that, that there's still a concern with uh, a relationship like that? I have concern. I don't want to uh, put anyone in a box and say they will have all of these right. commonalities. But yes. they, there's definitely a much higher risk just looking at the research mm-hmm. and the fact that I've been in touch with a number of adult children and we share these things in common where it doesn't matter whether it was a lesbian parent or a gay parent, uh, our parent often had transient relationships. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't necessarily have a full explanation why that is so when we're growing up in that. There's, there often is um, various health issues, mental health issues and physical health issues that our parents will deal with mm-hmm. that may not be um, always something you'd find normally happening in, in other um in a more traditional type marriage situation between right. a man and a woman. Right. Um, like the lesbian mothers, a number of uh, the adult children that have contacted me, their mothers have struggled with depression. Mm-hmm. There's uh, been often some reproductive organ cancers, breast cancer, brain cancer, uh, some other issues as well, but it, alcoholism. Right. Uh, you know, it, again, it's not every case. Yes. But these are it's just a higher risk lifestyle. And that maybe sounds very politically incorrect, but when you're an adult child and you get together yes. with other children, you, you share commonality. Yeah. Now, so people who are uh, uh, proponents of same-sex marriage, what do you tell them? What are your concerns with that? Well, I really believe that the Church's teachings on sexuality and gender complementarity are very important. That the institution of marriage as a, a state that God has ordained is a natural state for the purposes of bringing together a man and a woman so that, uh, again, there can be children that will will come through this union. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us. Mm -hmm. When children grow up without one of their biological parents, there can be issues with, uh, we often find among fatherless boys, juvenile delinquency, drug and alcohol uh, issues, suicidal tendencies, early sexual experimentation, Yes. They often uh, struggle with, uh, not just academically, but yes. with employment. Yes. And there's a number of issues. We know yes. fatherlessness is, is not good. Mm-hmm. For girls that grow up without a mother, they t- tend to be more masculinized in mm. their appearance, in their mannerisms. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why we need both genders. Right. Now, Dawn, that's all the time we have. But uh, it's been really good. I, I hope that, again, I always feel when I speak to people that we didn't have enough time, but it, but it's, it, it may be enough to get people thinking and talking about this. Um, your new book, I don't know, it's not that new, but Out From Under is available through your website, and I guess it's available on any, at any bookstore if people are interested in they finding it. They can order it through the bookstores. So they can order it through the bookstore, or, I, again, I'm going to direct people to your website. It's Don Stefanowicz, and I'll spell it. S T so it's Don D A W N S T E F A N O W I C Z dot com. But we're gonna put a link to that website on our website as well, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. So if people don't have to worry about, you know, rushing to find a pen. So Don, thank you so much for uh, joining us today um, and for sharing a little bit about it about your experiences with us. Pedro, thank you very much. You're very and God welcome. bless. So again, Dawn Stefanowicz is the author of Out From Under. It's a book about her experiences growing up with a same-gender attracted father. You can find out more about Dawn and purchase her book at her website, dawnstefanowicz.com. And uh, we're going to put a link to that website on our uh, 
on our site, saltonlighttv.org slash radio. You can also Google Dawn, D-A-W-N, and out from under, and you'll, you'll find it. There's also a phone number if you have a pen, 877-421-7323. It's a toll-free number, 877-421-7323, if you'd like to uh, find out more and how to purchase the book. And you can write to us and tell us about your opinions on this topic. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Tell us uh, what you think. Write to us, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. And here now is Greg Walton with his song, Tune of Ignorance. Every morning I go running out my door Step into the car and put the pedal to the floor I have no time for the sick or for the poor It seems enough to skip through my day When I get home I put my feet into my bed Pull the sheets up to my chin Comfy pillow to my head But I cannot sleep I hear the streets crying in their dread Yeah, I can hear them say the purpose well until we step out in the street and spread our love to everyone we meet and what we do more than in what we say and as the world goes round the world religions fight over who is in the wrong and who is in the right our children singing all our precious in a sight while we look the other way
You're listening to Salt and Light Radio, heard on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann, and that was just Greg Walton with his song, Tune of Ignorance. This is Kyle Hyman from Papua, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159, XM 117. It's amazing to me how God can call someone who has absolutely no knowledge or previous experience of religion or God. But that's exactly what happened to David McDonald, singer-songwriter from Ottawa. I spoke to David last Thursday as he was preparing for the National March for Life in Ottawa. David, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Hey, Pedro. Glad to be here. Yes. Um, so, uh, not to get, because we have, don't have a lot of time, but to get the full story, what was, what was it like to grow up in the McDonald household? <laughs> well, my parents used to play frisbee with plates. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, there was a lot of fights and there was a lot of arguments, and there was no God. And there's no saying that says, you know, if you have no God and oh God, you have no peace. But if you know yes. God, K-N-O-W, you know peace. And we didn't know God. We so there was a lot of fights. So you didn't have you didn't have God. You didn't have peace. Um, you wanted to be a superstar. You ended up on Broadway. You ended up touring Cats. Tell us a little bit about that lifestyle. Yeah, so I went down to New York at 19, and uh, things really took off for me. I ended up producing rap records in Harlem, and then uh, got an audition on Broadway for a Broadway show uh, called Rock and Roll the First 5,000 Years, and uh, after that closed, I ended up doing a couple of movies, one for Paramount, one for Columbia Pictures, uh, hanging out with Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Cruise, and kind of that generation of actors, and things were really taking off, but, uh, you know... I had that hole inside me, you know, that God-sized hole, and, I, and only God could fill it. And there's nothing in this world that could fill it, so I could get everything I wanted, but it wasn't enough. And uh, what ended up happening was that I just started spiraling, and I got involved in an abortion uh, with, uh, with my girlfriend at the time. I wasn't living a chaste life, of course, uh, at that time, and uh, I didn't even know what chastity meant, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I got involved in an abortion, and we both really spiraled. She was a medical doctor, and she got, uh, you know, she became, you know, got kind of uh, drugged up after that, and I got all twisted up, and I blew my voice out completely when I was on the U.S. national tour of Cats. I was the rock and roll cat, uh, the Rum Tum Tugger, mm-hmm. and I blew my voice out completely right before the Chicago opening, and, and that was the end of my career. I couldn't talk for, uh, for uh, three years, and I couldn't sing for ten years. So that was the beginning the beginning of the beginning. I was going to say the beginning of the end, but the, begin- the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> it was the end of me and the beginning of, of Christ in me, you know. And uh, I was up in Montreal, and I just had this. I went up into the oratory, you know, where, where Brother Andre, uh, you know, uh, who was going to be beatified in a couple of months. Yep. Um, uh, just really, he moved in my heart. I didn't even know who he was, you know. And it's just, I just wandered around the tomb of Brother Andre's uh, uh, tomb, and and there was this amazing feeling that came over me. And right after that, I went upstairs, and in front of the cross, I just lay down on my face, and I said, "Jesus, I said, I don't know you, and I don't know your people, but I just ask that you'd come and take my heart and take my life, and I give you everything I've ever been, and everything I ever will be, and everything I am. Jesus, take my life." And that was the beginning of a of a new path for me. Yeah. Um, uh, that that full st- you just given us the uh, you know the three minute version that full um, testimony can be found on your website. So if people are interested in, in reading all the details, the web- website is David Mac. Yeah, 
Do you? you can come see me. Yeah, you, that's my that's my music website. Probably the best way to get a hold of me is catholicbridge.com. Okay. Catholicbridge.com. So that's the apologetic site. Um, catholicbridge.com. Um, uh, it's a fascinating, powerful, powerful story. I've been blessed to hear it uh, a few times, um, which brought you not just to the church, or this, but to have a very strong uh, pro-life stance. And you already mentioned a little bit about the, the experience you had with your girlfriend at the time with the abortion. How, how did that experience come back to you in, in the sense that you felt that you were being called to take a stand for life now as a, as a, as a Christian, as a Catholic? Well, you know, it took me a long time to really get the full magnitude of what I'd been involved with. You know, I was Christian for quite some time, probably 15 years before I actually really got it how important this issue of abortion was and how uh, incredibly selfish I was by sacrificing, uh, you know, my, my children on the altar of my ambition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, uh, it was really around uh, 2001 or so I got introduced to the people who were doing the National March for Life um, because of my Christian music, uh, you know, thing that was happening. Yeah. And just by talking with the people involved and, and by witnessing with them, and then one day just really connecting up with what I'd actually done, you know, it was the Lord just downloaded into my heart this incredible pain, uh, you know, uh, over my children. And then I had a, a dream about uh, about hitting this little girl with a car, you know, and uh, and then I saw... In this meditation, uh, I saw her uh, standing beside Mother Mary and uh, and saying, you know, this is your daughter, David. And I'm like, can I talk to her? You know, yes. And how do I know she's in heaven? Well, she's with me, isn't she? Where am I? Mm-hmm. Right. And then I got this incredible feeling of love, you know, and uh, I just really asked my, my daughter forgiveness uh, for what I had done, the selfishness I, you know, Done and and since then I've been speak I speak to probably about uh, I don't know ten thousand young people a year uh, about abortion going into schools and sometimes you know different radio things or whatever and on my website right. uh, helping young people to make a decision and a choice not only to stand up for life if they find themselves in a pregnancy situation but also to stand up politically for life and and do this type of thing. And, and today's a big day, of course, uh, the National March for yes. Life at noon. Uh, we are uh, going to be uh, celebrating life, and we're also going to be telling our government how important it is that they consider the unborn in their legislation. And we will have, uh, we're estimating about 15,000 people there, and of those, it'll be 5,000 young people. Yes, that's awesome. Just to know for anyone that might be joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro. We're speaking with our featured artist of the week, David McDonald. So, David, um, thank you for, for, the, for the information about the, the National March for Life. Uh, what is your involvement with the march this year? Um, well, I'm I'm running the band, and I'm uh, I'm also behind the scenes. I do all of the equipment uh, rentals and all that kind of thing. So I'm very much on the organizing committee. Um, but I also, uh, you know, run the band and I sing and I write a theme song for it. But I, I bring I brought in a really good young singer this year from uh, the Hamilton area, Ancaster, oh. named Cal- uh, Kathleen Dunn, and she's going to be singing with our band today, uh, singing a theme song that I wrote. And uh, she's like 19 years old. And she practices chastity and she goes to Our Lady Seat of Wisdom Academy, and she's really heavy into her Catholic faith and into telling her peers about chastity. So. So, you know, the next thing for me to do is to really hand off this, this, uh, 
this love of music and the pro-life movement to the younger generation and to give them a chance to come on up and, and come alongside them and, and nurture them and mentor them. Yeah. Now, David, we've been listening to uh, a couple of your songs so far, uh, Across and Holy of Holies. Um, what Did you get the sense that when you were being changed by God that that he was telling you that he was taking your music away from you and then how was the the moment where you realized that the music was not being taken away from you but that in fact it was it was you were being called to use the music for this for this new uh this new call well right after it's you're absolutely right pedro right after i had that experience with the lord i and I really had a sense that he wanted me to give up music completely, and, and I gave away everything, $20,000 worth of equipment, and I sold it rock bottom cheap and everything, just, you know, and I worked in a charity and eventually went back to school, never thought I'd ever do music ever again. I couldn't sing anyway during those days. Mm-hmm. And it was on a Curcio retreat uh, uh, 10 years later when all of a sudden they, there was just this teaching about Christ is at the center of a spiritual life, and I, I thought, I wonder if I could write a song for Christ. You know, it just came mm-hmm. through my head. I hadn't touched an instrument in 10 years, and I, and I just, I don't know, I just picked up a guitar that was beside me, and I just started singing this song, Love at the Center, and, you know, and I, and I sang it, and my voice sort of came back uh, uh, by that time, and... Uh, and everybody, nobody knew that I was a singer, you know. Right. And so there was this incredible uh, feeling of joy in the audience, and everybody was like, wow, this is amazing. We all sang together this theme song that I wrote, uh, and that was the beginning of it. That was 1998. And, and so I sang for, I was touring for about 10 years, doing quite a bit in India, and of course the World Youth Days, and all the yes. Europe, and all that kind of thing down in the U.S., and things were going really well. Um, and then on European tour, I, blew, I should say, uh, after World Youth Day in, in Sydney, I blew my voice out in India again. And, uh, and I was wondering, Lord, wait a second, I'm on the right team here. What are you doing? Why are you taking my voice away again? And it was really because uh, there was this woman on my heart, and I've been practicing chastity, of course, for the last 10 years and, and not involved in any relationships. And, um, and this beautiful woman, Kirsten, came into my life, and, uh, and I was able through all of this to kind of see the incredible uh, gift that God had for me and that it, what he was giving to me. And so uh, uh, I, we're moving towards marriage now. That's, that is, that's such a good story. I mean, I really encourage people to go to catholicbridge.com. And, and read the full testimony, find out more about David. You're not just a pro-life speaker, you're, a, you're, a, you're an accomplished singer and songwriter. There's lots, of, lots more uh, inside of you, David, to come out, I'm sure. And, uh, and uh, just many blessings on this upcoming marriage between you and Kirsten. Um, thank awesome. you for being with us today. Thank you, Pedro. God bless and have fun at the march. <laughs> yeah. That was a conversation I had with David McDonald last Thursday as he was preparing for the National March for Life in Ottawa. May 14th marked 41 years since the Canadian Parliament passed the infamous omnibus bill, Bill C-150, the legislation which decriminalized contraception, abortion, and homosexuality. In Canada today, there is no law restricting abortion, even up to the moment before birth. For more information, you can visit the Campaign Life Coalition website campaignlifecoalition.com Here now is David McDonald with his pro-life song, Life is the Only Choice. I was climbing the ladder 
I didn't know my morals were shattered by my ambition Oh no Lord I was looking for glamour I didn't know I was taking a hammer to my conscience And everything I should have treasured I was lost in this world That knows nothing about love Nothing more than racing after emptiness Chasing the wind I lost my mind, everything I owned I lost my child and my soul My mad rush for security I didn't know life is precious From beginning to end Something we must of you have heard of the Holy Shroud or the Shroud of Turin. This is the cloth that has imprinted the image of a man who suffered torture and crucifixion. Many believe that it is the burial shroud of Jesus. Now there is a book titled The Face of God which makes the claim that a cloth that has been in a Franciscan parish in the town of Manopello, Italy for 400 years is the sudarium or the face cloth with which Jesus was buried. 
This cloth also has a face imprinted on it. Historian, journalist, and author Paul Batty is the author of The Face of God, The Rediscovery of the True Face of Jesus. I spoke to him last week while he was in the United States. Paul Batty, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Um, can yes. you briefly tell us what the face of God or this cloth of Manopelo is about? To tell the truth, it's the most precious relic the church had and still has. It has been forgotten for, let's say, 500 centuries, uh-huh. more or less. But it has been uh, gotten away from the public, but it uh, survives in the, as a local relic in a little remote little village in eastern Italy. Survived unharmed and still is there in all its glory, its majesty, and everybody can come to see it. It's, it's yeah. just it corresponds. It's you could call it the second cloth of the tomb of um, of tomb of the risen Christ. You know when John yeah. and Peter, when they very yeah. early in the morning went to the empty uh, grave, yes. to the empty tomb, they found the tomb was not completely empty. Yes. There were cloths in there. Uh-huh. They found the cloth. One of the cloths is the shroud of Turin, certainly. Yes. And the other one is the napkin, which has been laying unfolded a part of the clo- of the shroud. And this is it. It so is the napkin, the very napkin from the so this tomb is the of Christ, and it shows him. And it is a, mirac- a miracle. It shows because nobody knows how this image came into being. It is technically impossible. There are no traces of paint on it. It's as surely as miraculous, unexplicable as. Our Lady of Guadalupe, as you know, there's no yeah. color either on it, and it is uh, the most breaking news you can <laughs> get across with. I mean, okay. that this face has come back to history. It's yeah. come back to our time. Only uh, 14 years ago, the curtain has been taken away from it. The villagers there, they uh-huh. haven't been aware of what they had, and okay. but here it is. And now, the crucial point for this. Um, Veil was the seal, the first of September, two thousand six, when, when Pope, Benedict Pope Benedict, in his first journey to within Italy, came to see it. So he, he had read, uh, read my book, in fact. Oh yeah. And then he said, "I decide, yeah. So how did you how did you become acquainted with the cloth? What sort of prompted you to find out more? Uh, I became, I've been invited. I've been always interested in the, in the Shroud of Turin. Yeah and did some research there, wrote a letter of articles there, and uh, read all the, the the most important books, met many scholars, have been in Turin. And then one day in Turin, for the first time, somebody, not one day, when I first had encountered myself, for the very first time in my life, the Shroud of Turin itself, which is an overwhelming experience. Yeah. If you are there and see this, the Lord and all his majesty, but wounded, dead yeah. laying there in front of your eyes. Yes. That very evening, we were, we were invited in Congress, scholars in a in a remote little castle out of Torino, and then one professor told me, "Look," he said, "then the other corner, the, the German professor, he claims that another image would exist." Huh. And uh, I mean, he was introduced as a as a cracked, <laughs> crazy German professor, and it was for me easy to follow up with this. I mean, yeah. after this overwhelming experience meeting for the first time the shroud in person and then having having somebody around you says there's something more beautiful exists and some more authentic or as authentic exists was just not on my map it was not on my mind and as it is today it is completely unexpected nobody has heard about it before right and so i thought yes this man 
must be right. This it can't. It can only be a, a crazy German professor. That's it. Right. But then the, the story turned took many uh, different ways. Yes. Yeah. Now, just a note for anyone that might be joining the program at this time: you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. We're speaking with uh, historian and journalist Paul Bade about the uh, the face cloth of Christ, the cloth of Manopelo. Now, you obviously feel as strong about this cloth as you do about the Shroud of Turin. There's been a lot of research done on the Shroud of Turin. Have the same types of research been done on the Manopelo cloth in terms of uh, electron microscope and 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 blood uh, tests and all that stuff? Sort of, sort of them. Because uh, one thing it has been thoroughly uh, in the, um, thoroughly um, thorough, thorough research has been made on it, but with one exception, it is sealed now for 400 years within two panes of of crystal and. Uh, in the frame, it hasn't been taken out. It's really sealed in this frame. It has okay. been taken out of this for 400 years, and uh, the monks, uh, the Capuchin monks, they are not in a hurry to do um, to let anybody push them. They said, "Now we had it for 400 years here. Now uh, the technology is wrapping so fast. I mean, now we can do so much uh, with non-invasive um, researches. Right. Uh, we couldn't. Now we find out. I mean, with the digital." Uh, science, if you can find out that much, we, we couldn't find out with the most cruel researchers, uh, let's say 20, 50 years ago. We said, well, let's wait, in 10 years we won't know much more. But what has been found out is that it is sea silk, it's the most precious fabric of the, uh, of the ancient times, uh -huh. and uh, which it does, which just impossible to paint upon. Right. So this is no paint, but it is, it's not a photo either. I mean, it's just far too old yeah, and it's so course. beautiful. And it is. It has the impression, gives the impression of a, of a living image. Yeah. And then again, the Capuchins know, they say, we could uh, have researches from one way to the other, in all immeasurable ways, but it wouldn't bring nobody to the faith of the, um, the God became man that he resurrected. So right. Said, on a different level, yeah. yeah. Now, you say one of the tests that has been done, or one of the research that has been done, is that they've overlaid transparencies of the face of the cloth with the Shroud of Turin, and that it's... It, it's a perfect match uh, because yes, I've, that, I've that's that's true. And uh, this, for instance, you can only do today. I mean, only today you can put them, and you, you could have made copies, uh, let's say, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. But now with the, the digital techniques, you can you can bring them together. And in um, in cyberspace, you can open a laboratory, you can bring them to the, together. Yeah. And then the, fir the, the they form a perfect match. Not only that, I mean. They show the sa very same person, the show, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth, uh -huh. but with, with two complete, completely different images. The Shroud of Turin shows a dead man, uh -huh. completely in all his majesty, in all his serenity, with, yeah. with all the wounds, and they show him upside from both sides, the whole, the whole body with all, with all the wounds. They show much more wounds than we even know of that from yes. the Gospels yeah. and on this linen. And then the other, this beautiful, fine, fine veil, it's, uh, it's, not, it's a living man with open eyes, with an open mouth. He's sort of breathing. The first uh -huh. re impression I had, when I, had when, the, when I first left it, so this is somebody uh, who just wakes up and he opens his eyes and his mouth is open in a way as would you, if he would form an A, an A, as Abba, as if he would say in right. Father. Right. Now, some people um, have said that maybe that this cloth would have been the cloth that with which Veronica wiped the face of Jesus, but you're sure that it's not, that it's actually the face cloth used for burial purposes. Yeah, but yes and no. I mean, I'm positive sure that it is 
the face cloth from the tomb. But this, it had, on the course of history, it had many, many names. Now today, it's called in Italy, in Manopello, Volto Santo, which uh -huh. says it's uh, the holy face. Then for some time, it had uh, the name of Veronica, but Veronica in itself it says Vera Icon. Yeah, true icon. Vera is Latin, Icon is Greek, the true image. The true image, the true image. Yes. Then before that, it has been called in the East Mandulion, or the image of Abgar, or the four-folded ones, uh -huh. or the not made by man's hand. So I would say there are at least five, six, seven, eight names which come to my mind easily, but all for the same object. Because right. people had to think about how th this came into being. They didn't really know, I mean, where it came from. But the first name is uh, Sudarion. That is um, the expression which John mentioned in the Gospel. Yes. Sudarion. That means um, Sudario, you have pseudo in it. I mean, sweat, it's a, yeah, it's a sweat. But it's just, just an expression. expression. This fail, uh, fail a face cloth, yeah. Yes, well, it was, but it was far too fine to to take any sweat or blood or whatever. Right. But this was. But what I'm saying is, people did not know what it was along the. Uh, this only today we can, of our broader knowledge, of the yeah. we see all the documents. It is right. a document, and people did not know where it came from. So they already they all all the times they had to make up their mind which miracle could have brought this into being. From that, uh, they have the um, the veil of the Veronica. They call it Veronica too. Yes. Now I'm just curious quickly. So why was it kept? Why ha was it kept that nobody knew that the monks had it for 400 years? Was it just because they didn't want yes. people to know, or yes. no? That's no. That's easy because it used to be the main attraction for St. Peter's Church in, uh, in Rome. The main attraction. This veil, the image of God, um, attracted mi literally pilgrims, millions of pilgrims to Rome. Yeah. Well, Paul, f uh, it's a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for being part of Salt and Light Radio. Thank you, Peter. That was a conversation with journalist and historian Paul Batty, author of The Face of God, The Rediscovery of the True Face of Jesus. The book is available through Ignatius Press, and you can find out more at ignatius.com. We'll put a link to that on our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel. Sirius 159 and XM 117. Here now is Gretchen Harris with Promised Messiah from her Christmas Joy album. Waiting, watching, stranded in the stillness, longing for a
You're listening to Salt and Light Radio, heard on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and we just heard Gretchen Harris with Promised Messiah from her Christmas Joy album. I met Gretchen almost 10 years ago at a Catholic Association of Musicians conference in the mountains of Arkansas for the occasion of the 25th anniversary of John Michael Talbot. And it was a great opportunity for Catholic musicians to network and worship together. And since then, Gretchen and I have met at this or that conference, and she also came to World Youth Day 2002 in Toronto. But just three weeks ago, I saw her again in Calgary at the Unity Awards. And so Gretchen joins me now on the phone. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio, Gretchen. Thank you, Pedro. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, so for people, people are just hearing your music for the first time, at least some people are. Um, we want to know a little bit about what it was like you growing up. So musically, what was it like growing up? Musically? Yeah. <laughs> like you're... It was kind of dry at my house. But spiritually, it was it was wonderful. I grew up in a lovely Catholic home. Um, my parents were very faithful Catholics. And I think that's what they instilled in me most. And then I just ended up singing, very involved with singing, and I loved singing at church. So you were singing in your parish? Yes, definitely. And that just kept going, and, and I got a lot of solo opportunities, and I really, really appreciated the opportunity to be able to sing songs and touch people's hearts, especially after they received communion. I generally did music at the post-communion meditation. Okay, and did you, did you, you didn't take any music lessons? Uh, not really. Okay, I learned so, a lot through my choral teachers. Okay. And I was trained uh, classically um, in college and, and beyond that. Okay. In the I, 20s and I, such. I, I heard a rumor uh, from my sources that you, you, you went off to Hollywood, you wanted to be an actress. Is that true? Well, it's just one of those things. When you live in L.A., it's, it's just kind of natural. You see things being filmed all the time you know, near your house or whatever, and everyone's you know, getting agents. And, and I went through that and did all that, and I didn't have that good of an experience. Experience, okay. um, but it just seemed like God was calling me very, very clearly in the direction of doing something for the church, and I happily responded to that call and have been doing that ever since. Right, and that well, when did that happen? How old were you? Oh, that was in my twenties. I I think I was very touched by Christian music, contemporary Christian music. It seemed like I really loved the production level, and I loved how the music was pop and contemporary sounding, but with lyrics that spoke of Jesus and God's love for us, and it just really carried me through my 20s, which can be a difficult time for people. Yeah. So, um... Now, you were already that's, married? That's what it was. Were you, already ma- you were already married? No, I was single, and and that was that was kind of really what carried me through those kind of tough times of dating, trying to find your vocation, trying to find your soulmate. And, you know, it's like, at least I had, you know, the love of Jesus Christ, and and he had a plan for me, and those songs really touched my heart. Right. Um, just a note for anyone joining the program now, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro. We're speaking with our featured artist of the week, Gretchen Harris. Now, I always think of you, and maybe you can tell me that I'm completely wrong, but I think of you as a, as a wife and a mother first. Is that fair to say? That's that's usually fair. I used to try to find when the ministry was was starting. I used to try to find a balance of fifty fifty, you know, between music minister and and wife and mom. But I've really found that 
it works best when it's about 95.5. Because <laughs> well, I'm really a family person. And God gave me my wonderful, wonderful husband, and he gave me three fabulous, healthy children. And that's really, he wants me to take care of them. So that's, yeah, that's you, my main thing. You said something to me when we saw each other in Calgary about how how blessed you are to be with your husband. And we don't hear that often from people. They don't talk about their marriages. Seriously, and I it really moved me. I, I have a similar experience in in my marriage. So I'd say that if it's fair to say that you're in a blessed marriage, what what would your tips be to married couples? Oh, I think we talked about this, but um, yeah, we did. I, I think the best would, would be to realize that you're so different and to really kind of research the differences between the dif- the different ways that men think versus the way that women think. Okay. And once you realize that it's really biologically, scientifically different, then you then you can let go and let them be themselves. And and my husband and I firmly believe in giving 100% to each other to make sure the other person is having a great day. So Okay, so it's not a compromise. Both, it's a, you give it all. Right. It's not a 50-50. It's a 100-100. And that way, everybody's really happy all the time. <laughs> and your kids, how old are your kids? Uh, my oldest is 28 and oh, wow. uh, 18 and 15. So the- they have one more at home. And he's fabulous, yeah. It's it's been a wonderful time and and how do I they really appreciate being a mom. How do they all feel about your music and, 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 and that part of your life? They have definitely appreciated it. Um, the best thing is my eighteen year old daughter, since she was about ten, has been singing with me and traveling with me whenever oh, really? I can possibly bring her. Oh good. Yeah, we've done um you know, some, some media, so we've sung on TV, we've sung in concert, we've traveled internationally singing, and that has been a wonderful experience, both mother-daughter, because we're having wonderful experiences away from the family, just one-on-one, and then, you know, as well, she's a really good singer, so it's been really right. nice having that good. with her. So she, she, got, uh, she got a little bit from her mother's. This is the daughter that's just off to college, so you're a little bit of um, grieving a little bit here. Yeah, it's definitely, it's always hard when one, when one leaves the nest, but... I am planning on bringing her with me to the Caribbean in October oh. um, to do Franciscan and Friends, led by with Dennis, and Grady. Dennis Grady. Yeah. <laughs> so I should and go I to have one of sung those. there for three years, counting, and this will be our fourth. That's great. Every time I speak to Dennis, he says that I, I should go. So maybe I, I need to sign up on one of these trips to the Caribbean. Oh, you definitely should. It's really wonderful. They are very warm, wonderful people. There. So you're going in October? Yes, it's the end of October into November. Nice. Yeah, you know what? I should talk to Dennis uh, about that again. Listen, you have six albums. Yes. We actually, uh, today in the course of the hour, we would have listened to three different songs from three of your different albums. Um, it seems that you're, you know, you don't worry about writing a lot of necessarily your own music. You're doing recording other people's music. Why is it important for you to record and to have the music available on CD? Because... Well, my first album, I, I did write most of the music, about eight of 11 songs. And mm-hmm. it was really nice to express, you know, what my relationship is with God, and it was mostly about God and family. But I really find that what's most central for Catholics is the Mass. And so I like to use music from Mass, but put a more creative spin on the songs right. to make them more interesting so people will have a bit of Mass with them in their home or in their car or in their computer while they're at work. 
So it's also songs and that they recognize. It's familiar songs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they can sing along, and it touches their heart. They already have wonderful memories of these songs. It's a really, really wonderful songs, but it's nice to be able to, you know, sing them out and use your heart and right. such, as opposed to when I'm just leading the singing at mass. You know, as a right. cantor, you're not supposed to shine out or whatever. Exactly. So, it's nice to emote a little bit. Exactly. So, are there any new albums in the works for you, or? Yes, definitely. I'm on my seventh now, and um, it's getting produced right now in Nashville as we speak. And um, again, wonderful, you know, there's an Ave Maria on there, and there will be big Catholic hits on Eagle's Wings, You Are Mine. Oh, good. Um, you know, and Mary, Did You Know is a song that oh, people I keep love asking that. Yeah. if I've done that before. So, uh, yeah, oh, it, it's, it'll probably, hopefully, be done by the end of the year. Okay, good. What's the title of that one? Do you have one, a title yet? Not quite sure. Working oh, title. Okay, we can ask CD. people ask people to send in <laughs> title suggestions for Gretchen Harris's new album. <laughs> Gretchen, that's all the time we have. All right. But thank you for coming on Salt and Light Radio. It's been great uh, having you on the show, finally, after all these years. And I know. Thank you for having me, Pedro. Yeah, good. Thank you so much. So Gretchen Harris is a singer-songwriter. She loves God. She loves the church. I think you can really you can really tell that from listening to her music. You can get more information about Gretchen and purchase her CDs and find out about this new CD, the seventh one, at her website. It's Gretchen-Harris.com. Again, we'll put a link to Gretchen's website off our website, saltandlighttv.org. Um, and uh, here now is Gretchen with a song from her album Sing to the Lord. This is a song written by Israel Houghton and the song is called Friend of God.
That was Gretchen Harris with Friend of God from her Sing to the Lord album. And that brings us to the end of this week's Salt and Light Radio. If you missed any part of this broadcast or you want to listen to any Salt and Light Radio program, remember that we archive all our shows. So just go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. You can listen to them there or you can download them to listen later. We also now have our shows up on Facebook. So check it out, facebook.saltandlighttv.org. Thank you for being with us. The CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation is Brazilian Father Thomas Rosica. We are a charitable organization devoted to bringing salt and light into a world that sometimes feels like it's lost its flavor and is in many cases in darkness. If you like what you listen, please visit saltandlighttv.org to see how you can help us continue doing this wonderful work of being salt and light in the world. So thank you. I'll talk to you next week. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been Salt and Light Radio.